Welcome to Grace Hills Church as we encounter God through his word. You know, God is a giver of life, uh, both temporal and spiritual, uh, both uh, physical and eternal, as well as joyful and abundant, but it's not always easy. And when life happens, sometimes uh, it's not exactly according to plan, at least our plan and what we would expect. You know, often in life, we miss what happens in life. And this morning, what I'm going to be talking about is what happened, now what? But that really is a, a true experience in so many parts of life. You, you remember when life was a little bit nor, more normal and, and you could go to a live event, uh, maybe a concert, or for me, I'd, I'd like to go to a sporting event, and, and the game was actually happening. And whether you went to the event physically or you're watching on TV, it was a great experience of just seeing life happen right before you. But I remember in watching games, that's often what would happen, that those who would be filming the game, they, at, toward the middle of the game or later on in the game, they, they begin to scan the fans in the stand. And sometimes what would happen is they were going around looking at people at the game. Some of the, stand, some of the fans in the stands were actually sleeping. And I was thinking about that. You know, when, when they're sleeping during the game, eventually they wake up. And when they wake up, uh, the first question, if not the, if not the first question, the second question is usually, what happened? What, 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 what went on when I was sleeping? And so they find out who was, what the score was and how they got that score and, and what was really happening that was exciting that they missed. And it doesn't even happen, happen, have to happen at a live game. I know uh, with my wife, uh, she likes to watch uh, Hallmark uh, movies. And uh, usually it's later in the evening, and I'm sitting down in a comfortable chair, and I, my, my goal is to watch the entire uh, movie with her, but often I fall asleep. And then when I wake up, I, I ask, well, what happened? And, and then, of course, I think about it. I, I already know what happened. The guy and the gal got together. They, they knew they were the ones that they were in love with, and, and they got married. And, oh, I'm sorry for some of you. That's a spoiler alert because that's the ending of every single Hallmark movie. But as you think about life, often what happens in life is that sometimes uh, we miss it. Or even if our eyes are open and we haven't fallen asleep, we're, we're not really getting the significance of, of what just has occurred, whether it's in very uh, close times, proximity, or whether it's in the distance. And, and as even as we look at it this morning, what I want to talk about is what happened, uh, now what? And, and first of all, I want you to realize that history happens and life happens. And just as we thought we had it all figured out uh, for what was happening in America, then COVID-19 happened this year in 2020. Uh, but what we need to realize that even just last week, we need to remember what happened. It was the opportunity to celebrate the greatest event in all of history. And really what I'm going to do today is, is look back 2,000 years and then look another 2,000 years beyond that. And, and we're going to cover two significant events in the last 4,000 years. Uh, last week, we, we looked at Easter or the Passion Week, and I'm going to ask the question uh, this morning, what happened during Passion Week? And what happened during Passion Week, very simply, it was the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection happened. Now, everyone agrees that there was a man named Jesus who claimed to be God. He was, he was a prophet and a priest, and he proclaimed the, the message of hope for people. Uh, they knew that they put that individual on a cross, and he died. Uh, some argue whether he was resurrected, but one thing they can't argue was there was an empty tomb. And, and we're convinced for a variety of reasons that the crucifixion happened and the resurrection happened. And if that be true, we know there is a God and that God wants to know us and that we can have a relationship with him. And that really asks the question, not only what happened, but, but now what? And, and we tried to share that very simply last week. Because of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and then as he rose from the gra- grave, we don't have to be afraid. 
And we shared with you last week that that really was the experience of those that first Easter. They, they were told not to be afraid, not to be afraid, not to be afraid. And why did they have to be told that? Because they were afraid. In, in some ways, the emotion of fear we cannot escape, but we, we don't have to let fear control us. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, a very straightforward verse is, God has not given us a spirit of fear or of cowardice or t- timidity, but a power in love and sound mind. So in the midst of being living in a fearful environment, we don't have to let those fears control us. There's another verse in 1 John 4, 18. I think in your notes it says 1 John 4, 8. But it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear is concerned about punishment. And the message of Easter and that Passion Week that Jesus died in our place so that we didn't have to die. We're not talking about physically, but we don't have to die in payment for our sins because we can't pay for our own sins. And Jesus died in our place. And so when we really get to know God in a personal way through Jesus, then we recognize that we don't have to live a life of fear. And the reason we don't have to live a life of fear is because what God does for us. Because when we believe in Jesus, we get peace with God and the peace of God. In Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified or made righteous by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And we mentioned last week that, that that separation between us and God was satisfied by Jesus. And that peace treaty is written by his blood. And then also we recognize that we have the peace of God. In the midst of the, the challenges of life, God goes with, it, with us. We don't have to be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, the Bible says in Philippians, let your requests, your concerns be known to God and the peace of God. That sense of God's presence and his love for us, no matter what we're going through, uh, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what happened? And now what? 2,000 years ago, Passion Week happened. Crucifixion, resurrection. We don't have to be afraid. We can have peace with God and the peace of God. But, but I want to go back a little bit further, another 2,000 years approximately. And, and we're now we're looking at another people who are living up in a messed, in a messed up world. In fact, that's really the story of, or the story of, of mankind, that we've gone from one mess to another mess. And, and as we think about that, the story of God is that he's getting us out of that mess. Uh, not just in a short period of time, but for, for eternity, he wants to rescue us from the mess that we put ourselves in or the people around us that put us in. And so we're looking at Exodus, and Exodus is all about Exodus, God's way out uh, for a people. We, we are going back to a place uh, where we left off. Uh, the people of God have landed in the land of Egypt, and they've been there for an extended period of time, over 400 years, 430 years. And there was a Pharaoh who knew not, Joseph, who rescued the people of Egypt from their famine. And now they were enslaved. Now they were under oppression. Now they were experiencing uh, not the goodness of life, but the difficulties of life. And God was now coming to rescue them, to to show that he cares, and that not only does he care, and not only is he good, but he's powerful enough to rescue them from what they were experiencing. So he raises up a man named Moses, who's going to be the the human source to deliver them, give them the way out. But there's opposition, and we go through that all the time in our lives. There's all kinds of 
of oppositions in our life or obstacles that, that keep us from experiencing life to its fullest. And so in this particular time, God was going to arrive on the scene, and through the hand of Moses and the miraculous things that were going to happen, he was going to rattle the, the people of Egypt to the point where they recognized that there is a true God. So let's pick that up, and again, we want to put that with hanging these great thoughts on, that what happened, and now what, as we look at what happened in Exodus about 4,000 years ago. First of all, I just want to say this. There were 10 plagues brought by God on that land. And, and the word plague is kind of like the COVID-19. It's, it's something that it's a blow to us. It's a, it's a striking of people. And, and as we think about acts of God, and that's usually what insurance companies say when they can't explain why certain things happen and when they don't want to pay out maybe from the insurance uh, that people have placed in a particular company, is an act of God is something you can't understand and explain. And as we think about things that happen, sometimes God directly makes things happen, and sometimes it's indirectly. Or put it this way, sometimes God purposely puts things on people, and sometimes he disallows it. In this particular case, God is instrumental in everything that's happening, and he is doing it for one particular reason. He wants, the people, know, he wants people to know who is the one and only true God. And he does this by rattling their life with these plagues. Uh, these plagues are ones that would draw anybody's attention to what is happening. So let's pick it up. And we're just going to go quickly through the 10 plagues and look at lessons that we can learn from that. So if you have a Bible and if you want to stop the video for a moment, you can grab a Bible. And this particular passage is pretty easy to find because it's the second book in the Bible. You have Genesis and Exodus. And we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 7, a story of an event that really actually happened. And 10 things were used to, to draw people to realize that, that you need to discover who God really is and respond to him how he wants you to respond to him. So in Exodus chapter 7, we begin with the first plague. The first plague is the Nile turns red. And we pick that up in Exodus chapter 7, and I'll just be reading a couple verses out of each section. In verse 14 of Exodus chapter 7, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is getting out to the water, the Nile River, and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take your hand, the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood." The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. And what you need to realize is not only does God want us to realize that he is God, he's the one and only true God, but all the other gods of this world are not true gods, they're false gods. The people of Egypt were a very religious nation. Some estimates that they had 80 gods. They had probably 10 or 12 that were their chief gods, but the Nile was the place where, where they saw their gods providing for them. And whether it was the god Hopi or Osiris or Nu, that's where they were, were prosperous. At that particular time, Egypt was the most prosperous nation in all the world, and the Pharaoh was the most powerful man in all the world. 
And so when God used Moses to turn the water in the Nile into a blood red condition, it hit them right at the heart of who they really were. This is their, this is their source of, of, of strength and their ability to be prosperous. As we look at Pharaoh, what I want you to understand just very clearly at this time is that the reason that Pharaoh had a hard heart and throughout the account of the plagues in Egypt, it describes Pharaoh as a heart, having a heart that was hard. And what is a hard heart? A hard heart, as we just read, is a stubborn heart and a heart that will not listen. And I guess we could just stop for a moment. Is Do you have anybody that, that are close friends to you or family members that ever describe you as being a little stubborn or a person not willing to listen? I'll have to confess to that particular label. Uh, there are many times people call me a little stubborn. I usually try to prefer the... The description, I have convictions, or I, have, I, I, I know what's really true and right, but they say, no, you're just stubborn. And, and the reason they say that is because when they try to discuss things with me, sometimes I just will not listen. And that was the problem of Pharaoh, and that was the problem of the people who would not respond to God's demonstration of who he is. They, they had a stubborn heart, and they had a heart that would not listen. And that was portrayed so powerful in each one of these plays that were progressive in terms of how it impacted the people of that land. In verses 16 through 18 in chapter, uh, in chapter 7, we, we have these words that we need to, to look at. He said, these are the, these are the impact in the land uh, that the, 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 the foul... The fish became foul, and the Egyptians had difficulty in drinking. And then in verse 21, it says this. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so the Egyptians could not get sustenance out of the land. And so that first particular plague really impacted the people of Egypt. And one of the things I want to note here is that not only did it impact the Egyptians, but it also impacted God's people. The first two plagues, as far as we know, not only happened to the Egyptians, but the Israelites. You remember those days when you were in a classroom situation or you were on a sports team and, and maybe the coach said, okay, if you guys don't hustle, everybody has to run a lap. And, and you're, you're making sure you hustle, but was one player that decided that he would just kind of dog it a little bit and he, he did not hustle and so the whole team had to run. Or, or maybe you were in a classroom and the teacher said, okay, if, if you keep talking, if anybody keeps talking, you don't get to go out to recess or, or you don't get to have you know, sports uh, that particular day. And there was always one person in the room that, that would speak out or not behave and it affected the whole class. And sometimes we, want, we wonder about things that happen in life and when things happen in life and we don't think are fair, we wonder why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Why couldn't it be just the people who are at fault? But we need to recognize we, we live in a fallen world. And, and the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that God causes the sun to, to shine on both the evil and the good. And he, he causes the rain to, to come down on the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And that happened to people even here as God gave the plagues to the land. It affected them. But then there's a second play that, that arose. And, and we find this in Exodus chapter 8, beginning verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. 
The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you and on your people and all your servants. Now, when we think of some of these plagues, they just seem like just beyond imagination. Well, even more so for the people of that day, because you need to recognize, as I shared with you earlier, that this is an extremely religious people. Uh, one of their gods was the god of a frog. It was Heket. And the frog, interesting, had a particular expression. It was a goddess, and the goddess was such that the, the, the god was portrayed as having the, the body of a woman and the face of a frog. And so I just want to warn you, if you ever speak to your wife or someone special to you, say, you're, you're like a goddess to me. And they respond, well, what is it about me that makes me look like a goddess? Well, you have a face like a frog. I would suggest not using that. But anyway, they also had a law on the land in which it was against the law if you somehow intentionally put a frog to death. You killed a frog. Now, that probably wouldn't work real well with my kids because uh, when they were younger, uh, the three of them, the three boys, they liked to take frogs and launch them over, over people's houses or over school buildings, and, and they'd just destroy the frog. There were frog legs everywhere. Now, personally, I was at church, and I would never allow that, but my wife gave them permission to do that. But anyway, as you think about it, they considered the frog so sacred, and yet now... Moses, through the hand of God, was now bringing the frogs where they were everywhere. And so what was the response? How, how did that end? In verses 9 and 10 in chapter 8, it says this. Now, Moses said to Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? And then he said, tomorrow. And so he said, may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And of course, Moses, uh, through the inside of God, was pretty perceptive there. He says, if I, if I don't put a timetable to this, and we need to recognize that God has his own timetable, you will somehow think that you or your magicians were able to somehow deal with the frog invasion into your land. And, and by the way, this is actually the second plague that somehow the magicians were able to imitate. They were able to turn certain parts of water that had not been affected by the, the curse or the plague on the Nile and all its tributaries. They were able to dig out wells, and, and they were able to turn that water, fresh water, uh, somehow red. And somehow they were able also to, to bring up frogs. Uh, in both cases, they weren't able to eliminate the problem. They were able to somehow imitate or mimic it. Uh, but in this particular case, he says, okay, you need to tell me exactly when you want this to happen because I'm going to let you know it's God and God alone that preserves you from this plague. And so it exact, happened exactly as God had said. And it came to such a degree, it says, so that verse 14 in Exodus chapter 8, verse 14, so they piled them in heaps and the land became foul. Can I submit to you that in the midst of all the gods they worship that probably after this particular event, they no longer worship frogs? Because they had been given that edict, they couldn't harm a frog, and now they had so many dead frogs. Not only were they everywhere, in heaps, but they smelled so badly, poorly, 
that they, they, they just had a, they had a run from all those places where frogs were in display. So as we think about the plagues, the plagues have the lesson of us recognizing that, that what God is important to God is that we would know who the God is, the true God, and that we would not follow after false gods. So, but the, as we know, and you've probably either watched the cartoon, the, the Prince of, of Egypt, or the Ten Commandments, or have seen some version of what has happened, uh, whether it's Charles and Heston being Moses or someone else, the plagues continue because Pharaoh, who could not deny what has happened, then his heart became hardened again. And so now we have another play that comes in chapter 8, verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. And that little detail is put very plainly, is that the magicians were able to duplicate the first two plagues, but, but after the first two plagues, they were not able to anywhere near duplicate what God was doing. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so now you see, through the midst of all that God is doing, bringing plagues on the land, it was causing them to realize that they weren't as powerful as they thought they were. They could not control life as they had done in the past. And now they recognized there was a power beyond them. They recognized this was the finger of God being placed on the land, showing who he is and who needs to be followed. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before God as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you do not let me go, behold, I will send another plague to you. You know, it's interesting as we're thinking about the gnats that were sent. Uh, they describe in a variety of different ways. Uh, some see them as that very tiny miniature insect that would 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 suck the blood out of people's skins. They were kind of like miniature mosquitoes. And it was so heinous to the people of Egypt because they, they, they really loved to, to look their finest. If you've watched the Ten Commandments, you'll brinner, you know. They would shave themselves, they would wash themselves, and, and now they had mosquito bites all over them. And it was about to be multiplied with this next plague that came, the plague of flies. Verse 21, for if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and on your houses and the houses of Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. And now God makes a very unique distinction about these plagues. Before, probably the plague of, of uh, the Nile River and, and then the plague of the frogs and even the gnats, now he's going to make a distinction between his people and everyone else. He says, but on this day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that, my, that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will occur. 
Then the Lord did so, and there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the earth. You know, as you think about this, uh, the, the flies there, some call them the dog flies. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, camping or out, out uh, in the wilderness, and sometimes you, know, you come into a place where there's mosquitoes or there's certain types of gnats, but sometimes you're just there and there are flies, but, and, and they seem to be biting flies. And this is exactly what happened here. And some have spoken about these flies, that these are the kind of flies that would, they would develop larvae and they would drop eggs on your skin and your skin would be, would be just damaged, almost beyond control. And again, it hit not only their inability to control what was happening because the hand of God was upon the land, but also it was taking what they looked like and it was changing everything about them. Yeah, we, we, we live in a culture where how we look and how we appear to other people is so important to us. Uh, it's just amazing how much Botox is being sold and applied to people's bodies, how much, how ma- how much uh, plastic surgery is done. And I'm not against all those kind of things, but I'm saying we are so concerned about how people look at us on the outside, and so often we're not concerned at all about what they see that comes out from the inside. And this is happening to them as well. As they, they encounter the Nile turning blood, uh, red, uh, turning red and damaging the, uh, all that they could drink and participate in terms of the fertility from that land. They experience the, the devastation of the frogs and, and the gnats and the, and the flies. Some even call the gnats uh, somehow were lice that just damaged everything about them. Uh, but it continued on because even despite them seeing the difference between how God treated his people and treating Pharaoh's people, Pharaoh had a hard heart. And so then we get to the fifth uh, plague, and and this is the death of livestock. Uh, Look at Exodus chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. For if you refuse to let them go, and this is again Moses speaking to Pharaoh, uh, and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a severe pestilence on the livestock which are on the field on the horses, and on the donkeys, and on the camels, and on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction again between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, and nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So again, as he's speaking to Pharaoh, and often when we get a deadline, sometimes it causes us to think differently about what's happening now in the present and what we're going to in the future. But even though Pharaoh got that deadline, tomorrow this is going to happen, tomorrow this is going to happen, you need to choose today what you're going to do. And, and isn't that really what's important in life is the choices that we make? And, and even we get kind, all kinds of warnings or we get all kinds of um, news flashes that we ought to be doing this or not, sometimes we give a deaf ear to that. They've said in our culture now that there are certain age groups where people say that they're, they're invincible and they can do whatever they want and, and they can't be infected by uh, any kind of virus. And some have learned the hard way, haven't they? Is that you think of certain, certain viruses, certain sicknesses, certain plagues, uh, none of us are given a, a free get-out-of-jail card with this. And the first few plagues... God's people experienced them. Now God was sovereignly caring for them, but Pharaoh turned a deaf ear to to this. But even in the midst of this, and this is what I want to share with you, that God was gracious and merciful in all that he was doing. He was attacking their gods. There was the bull god, the cow god, and the ram god, and I could give the Egyptian names, but they're hard to pronounce. 
But, but as you think about that, he was saying, look, if you'll just listen to me. But he did give them a little bit of out. He didn't take all their cattle, all their livestock. He said, just the ones in the field, if you'll listen to me and protect them, then they will not be destroyed. And it says that even some of them listened, and, they, and that's exactly what they did. Some were actually believing and turning to the one and true God. But Pharaoh gets stubborn again, will not listen. And doesn't that describe us a lot of times that we know what God wants us to do. We know what God has offered for us, but, but we don't want to give it up. We want to do our own thing. And, and so the sixth plague is the infection of boils. The next is chapter 9, verses 8 through 9, and, and you see all these things just, just multiplying, God trying to persuade the people of the land to turn to him. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky in sight of, the, of, the, uh, of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beasts through all the land of Egypt. And just one other statement concerning this in the text, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 11, it says, The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. It's quite possible in some of these plagues, those who were in position of power and responsibility, they, they could hide in the, in the palace. They could somehow still have their needs met because they had provisions already stored up. But now this particular plague, a physical plague on people, was now being experienced by everyone, even those in the, in the court of the palace of Pharaoh. You know, what, what is a boil? I don't know if you've ever had a family member or a friend have a boil and it had to be lanced, and if you've ever been involved in that experience or even watching it happen, it's not a, it's not a, plenty, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not a pretty picture. A, a boil is a painful, pus-filled bump that forms under your skin when bacteria infect and inflame one or more various parts of your body. It's a very painful and unsightly experience. And, and now they were being covered with boils. So what is, what is Pharaoh going to do? He's, is he going to respond? Is he finally going to figure out, look, I, I, I need to give up. I, I need to humble myself before the living God or will he remain to be stubborn and not listen? Well, we know the story. He gives a deaf ear to God. And so now another plague comes. And now we have the, the plague of, 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 uh, of the deadly hail. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 18, it says this, Behold, about this time tomorrow I will send a very heavy hail, such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, bring your livestock and whatever you have left in the field. Some had been protected to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field that is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. And the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee from the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field and that describes people of all ages. Some people will listen and some people will not listen. Jesus said it this way. Uh, some people have ears to hear and eyes to see and other people don't. And, and those who responded to the warning, they did that and they protected their livestock. And the hail came. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a heavy hailstorm. And 
Uh, most of the time in California, we don't get much hail, but maybe you've been in the mountains when it's happened, or maybe you've traveled to friends or family that where all of a sudden the, 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 the weather changed and you received not just flakes of snow, but pellets of ice from the sky. And usually it's, it's just kind of annoying or it's kind of interesting to experience that, but then the, the hail gets a little bit bigger. And uh, I've had the experience where they actually dent the top of a, of a vehicle because of how how strong the hail or how um, dangerous the hail is. Well, this is what happened to them, and, and actually lives were being killed and animals were being destroyed because of that. So what was the, what was the response of Pharaoh at this time? Uh, Pharaoh's response was interesting. It's kind of the one that uh, we often do, is that he wanted to compromise. In Exodus chapter uh, 10, verse 26, it says this, again, God preserved his own people. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, was there no hail. And, and, and Pharaoh, in a number of times, said, well, okay, I'll let your people go, but you've, you've got to uh, leave your family and children here. Or I'll let you go, but you can't go all the way into the, the land where you want to sacrifice unto your living God. I'll, I'll let you go here, but you can't go as long as I want you to go or as you want to go. But in this particular case, we have, because of the hail, God has humbled Pharaoh to at least a certain degree. In verse 27, it says this, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses, and Aaron said to them, Pharaoh now, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. And so you see here, right, when you think of the seventh plague, that now God has Pharaoh right where he had always wanted him to be, in a place where he would admit his sin and confess his sin. But, you know, when we admit sin and even confess it, verbally declare it, it doesn't mean necessarily it's the expression of our heart. Because there can be a false confession. There can be an insincere acknowledgement of what we've done that is wrong and and maybe you've experienced that with your children. Maybe when they've, they've, uh, they've <laughs> taken something from uh, one of their brothers or sisters and, and uh, you went to them and said, you need to share, or you need to get that back. You need to tell them you're sorry. And they, they say they're sorry, but you know they're not sorry. And, and this is what it was with Pharaoh. He, he was confessing. He was admitting that he, what he had done was wrong. Uh, and yet it was a false confession. It was not a sincere acknowledgement of his sin. And the reason we know that, because later on it goes, but as for you and your servants, I know that you are not yet, you have not yet come to that place where you the fear of the Lord. Know that the flax and the, and the barley were ruined, but for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but, but the wheat and the svelte were not ruined for they were ripe and late. And the reason I share those particular details of that particular plague is when you think about all the things that God did to devastate the land, every single time he tried to give them a little bit of grace and mercy, where he didn't destroy everything about their livestock or their ability to produce crops. He left some to be left. So if they did repent, they would have something to rebuild their lives. But Pharaoh turned from the living God and he hardens his heart again. And, and so there's another plague that comes on the land, and this is the plague of the locusts. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. 
Now, just out of those two lines here in Exodus chapter 10, it really speaks about really how do we approach God. He said, how long will you refuse to humble me? You know, one of the things that's going to be true about eternity, one of the things going to be true about those who populate the place God has prepared for those who know him and put their faith in him is there aren't going to be any proud people in heaven. Uh, you know, when, when we come into a relationship with God, the, the first step is that we got to humble ourselves before and truly admit and confess our sin. Acknowledge that what we have done and what, what we are is far from him. And yet Pharaoh would not do that. And so he brings another, another plague on the land. He says, for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They also will eat the rest of what has escaped. What is left to you from the hail? And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. And then even Pharaoh's people plead with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servant said to him, Exodus chapter 10, verse 7, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the man go that they may serve the Lord God do you realize that Egypt is being completely destroyed? And, and yet, in reading the account, Pharaoh hardens his heart again. There will be no proud people in heaven. And, and the first step that we need to do to, to have God embrace us during difficult times is we need to humble ourselves before him and recognize that we need for him to meet our deepest needs. There are two more plagues, and it's descriptive of God's plan for every one of us to to know what has happened, what is going to happen, and now how should we respond. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, we we have the ninth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Verse 23 and 24, they did not see one another and did not anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their buildings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. And so he tries to compromise again. But, but I just want, to, I want you to, to picture this, this ninth plague. And, and it says, not only did they experience it, but it says that they felt it. He, and really what, what God did there is attack one of their chief gods, if not their chief god. It's their god, Ra, which is the, the sun god. He says, what I'm going to do to declare to you that I'm more powerful than any god that you manufacture on your own. I'm going to take the, the god of the sun, the god of light, and I'm going to black out all of that. And throughout your land, other than one particular location in your larger kingdom, Goshen, Every place else is going to be darkness. And maybe you've experienced some of that, those times where you've been in a place where everything is dark and you, you don't know which place, where's up, where's down, which where's left and right, and you, and you are in, you're in a fearful place because you can't see where to go next. Maybe you've been in one of those caverns where they turn out all the lights and you, you literally cannot see the hand in front of your face. And then sometimes they, they describe that, well, what would you do if somehow you, you lost your lantern or you had no source of light and yet somehow you had to crawl out of that, that cave? You know what the Bible describes, that place of judgment in 
In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, and some other places as well, it says that in the, end, in the very end, when we face God personally, Pharaoh was facing God in his day, and we're all going to face God in our day. And he said that there are going to be some people that are going to be cast out into darkness, where there will be gnashing of teeth and the wailing of the people there. However, we picture God's place of judgment, and he and the Bible is very clear in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And we'll describe the wicked here as some people far from him. And it goes on in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, that but he delights in people turning to his way. And so as he gave that plague of darkness throughout the land, and he, he was gracious, he only allowed it for three days. It was to punctuate to them that there was one much more mightier than them and all their gods, even their God raw, that their source of light and prosperity and health could be blotted out so easily by the one and only true God. But even in the midst of that, we know that Pharaoh hardened his heart again. He became stubborn and would not listen. And so there became the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you from here completely. And Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I'm going out in the the midst of Egypt. And and the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And what we know is that Pharaoh again would not listen to God. Even when his, his son, his firstborn son, and all the firstborn children of his land would die that night apart from being under the grace of God. He would not turn to the living God. And Moses one more time responds to him. He says, all these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And then it makes a commentary on the response of, of, of of Pharaoh, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. In fact, actually, it's the response of Moses. When, when he saw Pharaoh unwilling not only to save his own son, but the sons of his people, it angered Moses. So as we think of what happened, what happened is God did everything he could to, to drive people to himself. Then we so often will listen to what might be beyond our own daily experience when we go through difficult times. And in the worst of times, we will then begin to maybe to cry out to God. And, and sometimes the experience of that is like what's called foxhole confessions, where we, well, God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll dedicate my life to you. And then when it gets over, we, we go our own way. That, that was the experience of Pharaoh. And whether it was the Nile turning to blood, red blood, or whether it was infestation of frogs or gnats or flies, or whether it was the death of livestock, infection of boils, deadly hail, invasion of locusts, days of darkness, or even the death of his own son, he would not listen. 
That's the what happened. What's the now want? Can I just share this real briefly? What is the now what for us? Well, just like it should have been for them and though and his and Pharaoh's days, as as for anyone in any day. When we when we truly try to get out of the mess that we're in, whether it's inflicted by others or it's a, or we've caused it on our own choices and decisions, number one is don't be stubborn, but listen to God. Don't be that person who, who thinks they know it all because you can't tell anybody who knows it all. Don't be that person who thinks you're always right when maybe someone or has something to say to you. And if it's God, you better be listening. Don't be stubborn, but listen to God. Secondly, be sincere when you confess your sin. So often uh, we do. We all, whether, whether we feel we have a relationship with God or not, when, when we do something wrong, we've we got to do something to get that off our, our conscience. And so often sometimes we might give a shallow admission of our guilt, but, but what we need to do is go to the one and only true God who can, who can give us forgiveness. And, and when we confess our sin, it, it means that, God, by, by your help and by your grace, I don't ever want to do that again. Come to God, and when you confess your sin, be sincere. Know this, and this is just the, the, the cold reality of it, is that know there are consequences for your choices. The Bible puts it this way, is that you're, you're going to reap what you sow. And so we need to recognize that, that we need to recognize everything that we do and choose to do, that there's going to be either good consequences or bad consequences. And then fourthly, remember that God is gracious, but, but don't test him. But don't test him. Hopefully, in, in these days, which we're experiencing now with the COVID-19, the, the restrictions in terms of our freedom to, to do and go wherever we want to go, is it, it's caused to think, what, what, what really is important in life? And hopefully, the more time you spend with family or friends, or particularly family in your home, and maybe a few people that you have the ability to have social distancing with, you, you realize, really realize it's not the things that we have, but it's the people that we have in our life that matter. But even going beyond the, the people with skin on, recognize there, there's a person that we all need to get to know, and that's God. And, and whether we need to get in, to know him in a much deeper way so we experience not only the peace with God but the peace of God, or whether we need to come to know him in the first, in, in, for the very first time, this is what's most important, and hopefully God is getting all of our attentions. You know, in the future, this COVID-19 is going to pass, but will our faith go as well? I heard this presentation, presentation of the goodness of God just recently, or, or the message of God. What, what is the message of God? Is that God and the one and only true God is our maker. But we need to realize that it's our sin is our failure. That Jesus is our savior. And faith is our answer. And the new life that he can give us is our pleasure. And, and what we mean to do is get in that place in our life where we admit and truly confess our sin to him. Believe that he truly is the, the Savior for us when he died on the cross and rose again. And then choose to commit to believe in him and follow him as our Lord, as the leader of our life and the forgiver of our sins. And so as we close our service today, as we learn the lessons about what happened and now what, we, we need to be a people that are not stubborn, but listen to God. We need to be people who are sincere when we confess that which is wrong in our life. We need to be people who know that there are consequences for our choices, and we need to remember that God is gracious, and we better not test him. He gave Pharaoh 10 chances to respond, and he said no every single time. So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and I invite you to, to make the next step for your faith.
either to know him for the very first time or to say, I I want my life to grow deeper in my relationship with the living God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to learn from the past and help us not to repeat the past. Help us to learn the lessons that have been shared in the past that we might not repeat them in a way that not only hurts us, but hurts the people around us. Father, help us to come to that place where we say, Lord, I, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a new person on the inside. And when we really mean that, then that's exactly what you'll do is we believe in what you've done and on the cross and raising from the dead. And for us who know you, help us not to be shallow in our faith. Help us to recognize that as we go through life, sometimes it's not going to be easy. That the, the plagues that happen in the world will happen in our experience as well. But we can look forward to a future that is filled with the goodness and greatness of God when we meet you face to face. And in the meantime, we can experience the joy and the peace that you're always with us no matter what we're going through. Help us to, to know not only what happened, but the now what for us. And help us to take the next step in our faith with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.